But what makes these fish so unique is they come they come into the shore wash on their sides like a flounder they, they or a ray. They just come completely flat, and they, they and they're and they'll grab they'll grab a crab or a mouthful of hermit crabs or or mollusks or snails, uh, and uh, and then they'll just slide back. That was Ray Montoya talking about the unique feeding habits of Permit out of Oman. I've got another item to add to your bucket list today. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I talk with Ray Montoya, a man on his own mission who has been fishing out of the Middle East for over 20 years now. Ray gets into a bunch of great DIY tips to remote areas and tells us why Oman, Yemen, and many parts of the Middle East are actually safer than some of the places we live in in our own backyards. We talk about adipose drift boats, how to catch fish out of a kayak, and how to stock fish that are hanging close to the shore. I wanted to quickly let you know of a new hosted fly fishing trip I have coming next year. This is your typical hosted trip, but on steroids. Go to wetflyswing.com slash destination to get on the waiting list for the next big trip. We'll be heading to a lodge um, to one of the great destinations and accompanied by a few of the big guests from this podcast. We are planning trips uh, eventually for Alaska, BC, Mexico, Belize, New Zealand, and more. But right now, I only have 10 slots available for this first trip. So go to wetflyswing.com slash D-E-S-T-I nation to get uh, more information on the first trip and to sign up for the waiting list for any of the upcoming trips. So without further ado, here's Ray Montoya. How's it going, Ray? Uh, it's going well. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. What uh, what time is it? Well, let's see. Now, are you in? Uh, are you in the Middle East, or did you come over? Uh, I we flew into the U.S. Uh, about well last Thursday. I'm in my home state uh, today, New Mexico, and I'll be here uh, for the next few months. Oh, cool, cool, great. Well, uh, yeah, we'll get into a little bit on the the traveling thing. You know, obviously, right there is, uh, you know, I have some questions there about that whole traveling process. But we're going to get into a lot of the um, some of the your your fishing over in the Middle East and some stories. And you know, I originally I think heard about you from Oliver White, who I had on the show uh, a while back. And um, so we're going to dig into all that and some cool species. But before we do, maybe we can just talk about how you first got into fly fishing <laughs> and then how you brought it up to found your way over to uh, Yemen and Oman in that area. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, well, I, I kind of started the way a lot of people my age started and, and as a child, a young, a young, young man. And, and I started uh, fly fishing with a, with a glass rod in, in Texas in 72 we were we were just running around like all boys that i was in high school and doing a lot of fishing and exploring and i came upon upon a a glass fly rod with a i think it had a fluger reel on it and an old crack fly line and we started making our own uh, our own cork poppers and fishing for cichlids in the rivers around san antonio texas and from there it, it just took off and um uh, let's see. I, I focused a, a lot on trout when I when I moved to New Mexico, and and in the early '90s, um, started um, fishing bonefish down in uh, Punta Allen in the Shankan Reserve. I got uh, interested in the saltwater uh, primarily from watching um, 
Spanish Fly and Jose Wajeba shows and Flip Palette and all of that. So, yeah. Um, so that's that's how I got into the saltwater aspect of it. And and once I discovered saltwater fishing and specifically sight fishing, there was no going back. That's all I wanted to do. How did you? So how did you find yourself over in? Uh, I mean. Most people don't think of Yemen and Oman and the Middle East as fly fishing um, locate destinations. How how did you find yourself out there? Because well, you lived they, out there for about seventeen years, right? Or you still do? Yeah. I, well, I still live there, and um, we moved to Oman in two thousand two. My wife and I are, are teachers, and we we've been uh, working in the international school system. So we we had been uh, we moved from Oman. Previously, we were in uh, Southeast Asia. We did four years in the Philippines and four years in Indonesia, um, West Papua to be exact. And, um, so, uh, the way that works is you, you know, as a, as a teacher, you're, you you, you go to these job fairs and you travel around and, and you look at different schools. We, we, we kind of fell in love with the American international school in Muscat, Oman, and decided we, you know, that's where we wanted to raise our family. And so we moved there and, um, once we got there and I realized, you know, it, the, the potential for fly fishing, not only was it untapped, it was, it was, it, it was immense. Uh, Oman has about 1600 kilometers of coastline. Back then in 2002, I would say about 95% of that was pretty much untouched, unexplored. And so we just started, I just started exploring. Um, we did a lot of family camping trips, mostly beach campers. We're real water people. Um, and uh, it just it just took off from there, and, and the species and the and the fish just just started coming. Yeah, I, I saw a video. I was watching a video of you. You've got a uh, I think a Vimeo channel out there, and and you uh, you got your truck with your racks on top. You're pulling off a kayak and yeah. uh, a sea kayak, and then you got your your cots are laid out on the beach with your. I mean. You pretty much you just had this amazing spot there. I don't know if that was Oman or Yemen or whatever, but is yeah. that is that pretty typical that just camp, camping typical. on the beach? That's very typical. Um, yeah, the, the, you know we we have beaches that are unbroken for um, one particular beach on the Augusta coast. Uh, you can drive that beach uh, for two hundred kilometers, and uh, and the camping is is extremely uh, it's safe. It's uh, easy. All you really need is a shade. We never use tents. There's no insects or bugs to, to bother you. Wow. Um, and so you just find a piece of water. You find a piece of beach or an estuary, and you set up. And and uh, and, and along that southern coast especially, uh, you, you probably will end up somewhere uh, no closer than 40 or 50 uh, miles or, or 100 kilometers from the nearest village. Huh. Wow. That's, that's really cool. So, I mean, it sounds like... It sounds like this oasis, this perfect place. I mean, you know, when most people or, you know, at least a lot of people, you know, think about the Middle East and all that area in Africa. And I mean, you just think of uh, all the crazy stuff that happens, the the wars, the pirates, all that stuff. I mean, yeah. can you talk about how, you know, that whole <laughs> sure. thing where people were talk about worry about safety, but it sounds like to you, you got this amazing place. What, what's, um, you know, maybe you can go into a little bit on all that. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're all guilty of, of basing our perceptions of places on what we see in cable news or the media or social media or whatever. And, and we have to, you know, we forget that those are just little snippets of places 
uh, and sometimes very small places in very large countries. And, um, you know, um, I've, I've experiences all over the world. You know, I, I mean, I've fished in Venezuela quite often, uh, Cuba. Um, we, we used to sneak into Cuba <laughs> in the, uh, and during the Bush years and, oh, yeah. uh, through Mexico, just fly in and, and, uh, and, and, um, you know, parts of Africa, Sudan, places like that. Generally, when you hit the ground, you're just going to find warm and welcoming people. I mean, there are conflicts and there are issues all over the world. Um, but um, a lot of these, a lot of this, um, a lot of these conflicts and issues are isolated incidences or isolated geogra geographically. I mean, there are a lot of people who who I run into overseas who who question me about the safety of of uh, of the United States. You know, right. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to go. To, I'm going to, go to Chicago. I'm going to go to Los Angeles. Is it safe? That's you know, right. what should I what What should I watch out for? Yeah. So um, that's true. Yeah. yeah. That's the the interesting thing too is that um, as far as destination travel or adventure travel or exploration travel, uh, as for for people who want to uh, fish, um, I've I've come to I've come to the realization that that some of these countries. Um, that have been in war-torn regions or civil conflicts or um, or just just suffering from abject poverty have incredible um, natural resources because ironically they haven't had the either the, because of war or conflict they haven't had the time to exploit them right or they don't have the resources because they're so poor to exploit them and that was the case when we went to Yemen uh, uh, and we, we visited the island of Socotra. Um, the fishermen there, uh, most of them, majority of them don't have boats. They don't even, uh, most of them were fishing with cast nets from the shore. <laughs> they don't even have, uh, like line nets or, or, or set nets. So, uh, or hooks or lines for that matter. Right. So the, because of, because of the lack of resources to actually exploit the resource, the fishing and the, 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 uh, the, uh, the ecosystem, the environment there was, was totally, uh, pristine and, 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 untapped yeah that no that's cool i i would like to get into i mean i think we're going to dig into some of the species that that you've uh you know you've caught over there uh but i think you know hitting on that diy exploration is you know is a big part of what i want to hit on today because you know i'm in kind of a you know a diy actually a diy uh -huh. destination season you know we're calling it uh -huh. where we're kind of focusing we've had like i said oliver white and and uh, Yaku Lucas and a lot of other people um, just talked to Jim uh, Klug, um, you know, so we had all these people talking, but, you know, really just getting down to that DIY, I haven't had a real good episode where I talked about, you know, if you wanted to go do it, you know, yourself, kind of, the, you know, why do it, you know, what are the advantages and maybe, can you talk a little about what DIY sure. exploration and unique sure. areas and maybe talk about some tips if people want to go do it? I mean, I guess we can focus on well, the middle, um, the middle East, right? <clears throat> Exactly. Yeah. First of all, I mean, it's, it's not something that you do. It's not something you do to save money. Um, you know, if, if, um, and it's, and it also requires, um, an, a lot more time than perhaps going to a, going to a lodge or, or, or uh, a set organized fishing program. Um, and it's not something you do if your first priority is to catch fish. Um, you've got to have a whole different mindset. You've got to have a very open, um, uh, flexible, um, realistic, 
idea of what you're getting into and um uh that's that's the that's the that's the base mm-hmm. at least that's where you're going to start from after that it's just a lot of research and and fortunately you know when i first started doing this you know we didn't have um we didn't have the the advantage of of uh, google maps and the internet mm-hmm. to, to do that research you know it was all it was all based on just talking to people calling people um uh, looking for maps looking for books whatever whatever hard uh, resource material we could get a hold of but mostly it was just um you know you get on the ground and you just start you know you just start ask talking to people and 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 uh, especially you know have, forming some connection with the locals and that's very very important mm-hmm. how have you done it with the the language barrier is that have has that been mm-hmm. an issue <laughs> it has been an issue i mean i i speak a little bit of arabic and and uh, other languages, but not enough that I can communicate my, you know, exactly what I'm looking for. Um, I, what I do do is I, I travel uh, uh, with, you know, with an, with an iPad or a device, and I have photographs of, of species that I'm looking for that I can show locals. And, um, and we do a lot of drawing in the sand and, and a lot of broken Arabic. And mm-hmm. um, uh, in, the, in, in, recent, in recent years, in the past 10 years, um, I've done a lot of fishing with um, uh, a friend, um, Kamal Busaidi, who is an Omani, and probably one of the, the first and only Omanis who fly fishes. And uh, uh, when I met him, he was, uh, he was, he was spin fishing, and I, I sort of uh, uh, brought him along, and we got him a fly rod, and we got him going, and, and now he's, he's, uh, he's totally addicted to fly fishing. <laughs> he's typically by my side. On these trips, oh, he's okay. he accompanied me to uh, to Yemen on our exploration trip for bonefish, and uh, having Kamal along uh, made a huge difference. So, yeah, having somebody um, who speaks a little bit of the language, and of course, the dialects in, in that part of the region are all different, just like, as they are everywhere in the world. Right. And the Arabic they speak in Yemen is different than the Arabic they speak in Oman and Egypt and etc. But um, you know, uh, that made a, a huge difference. Um, going back to what I said earlier uh, about time, you've got to have a lot of time. You've got to have, you know, if, if you hope to get in a, a week of fishing, you know, plan for three weeks. Yep. That's my suggestion. Um, because especially in that region, especially when you're fishing ocean side, um, habitats, um, you're, you're, you're not always going to have the conditions to fish. You're not, not always going to have the, the, um, the tides and and um, so there's going to be downtime, and but fortunately, I mean that's why that's why you're out there DIYing it is that, is that downtime. That's you know to me uh, that downtime when we're not fishing is is just as valuable and as exciting and as interesting and and as, and the reason we're out there in the first place. Yeah. Um, we had a oh years ago I had a couple of guys show up, um, Mike Ward. I think he, uh, Mike Ward, he's in Montana and Washington. He owns Adipose Drift Boats. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, and um, a Canadian guy, um, God, I don't remember his name. Anyways, uh, they showed up and they, they, you know, they had the perfect attitude. They were after a permit. That's what everybody wants is an Arabian permit. Oh, okay. The, uh, the, uh, the blotchi, uh, blotchi species. And, um, you know, 
they they got they they had such an amazing time and they they were they visited all these small villages they interacted with the locals they got haircuts and shaves they <laughs> they they played games with the locals they fed camels they you know it's just it was just a, yeah. a, a whole just traveling uh, experience. exactly exactly what is your um so that that is a good tip that you mentioned there about you know having some time three weeks and you mentioned you know savings is not the thing it seems like you know but there might be some if you're there for three weeks for example you know just touching on the money piece for a little bit if you you know spent five thousand for a lodge or you know ten thousand yeah. or whatever it is but if yeah. you were to do a trip down to the Middle East obviously there's expenses there but it seems like you spread out over right. three weeks four weeks that it would be a little bit cheaper just your 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 cost per day is that oh, yeah. true or are there sure. other things we're missing here absolutely it's going to be cheaper than than a lodge especially in that region in that part of the world i mean you know what what lodges and are in in yeah. the indian ocean yeah yeah um, right the seychelles the seychelles right is probably seychelles, where... fishes, uh, uh, brandon's atoll places like that yeah. um <clears throat> and a lot of liverboard operations and they're very expensive and they you know and they're they're costly to to the operators which is why um, those prices are there, but um, yeah, your biggest expense uh, aside from the air, the, the the airfare is going to be um, is going to be your car rental. Oh, the car rental, right? And then yeah. what what car would you have in one of that video? You had car that looked like a um, it was like a. I a, drive a Nissan Patrol. A pol- oh yeah, we don't even have those here. That's right. Patrol. No, no, you. Yeah, I've not seen them in the U.S. Not not the not the model it's a, that I. It's a uh, it's a SUV. It kind of looks like a um, one of those. Um, Land Rovers. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the, to a photo of it. But is that? It's kind of like a Land Rover looking thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 a beast of a car. I've had some incredible adventures in that, and it's it's never let me down. It's it's. Well, um, what's your um? If you had to think, you know, uh, your you know most memorable adventure in that truck does does one come to mind? Oh yeah, <laughs> um, I'll tell you one. Uh, we were driving back from a trip, my wife and I, and. Um, I just had new alloy rims put on. I took off the steel rims and I put alloy rims on, and uh, they put the old lug nuts on the from the steel rims on the alloy rims, and uh, the nuts didn't fit. <laughs> and everything was fine for the entire trip, but on the drive home, my left uh, my left uh, front uh, wheel came off. Oh, jeez! And uh, and just took off. You know, it was it was it was right at dusk, and all of a sudden. The left, the left wheel came off. The car sort of tilted uh, left. Sparks just started flying across the, my my the driver's window. Jeez! And look, and I see the tire just disappear into the desert, into the night. Oh. Um, we, you know, and I, we're going quite fast. We drive these desert roads at, at anywhere from 120 to 140, which is like 85, 90 miles an hour. Okay. And um, but manage. I mean, this this thing is so heavy. It's such a tank that we just kind of just rode it out until we came to a stop and uh, looked. And I had about three quarters left of my drum. The rest had been more ground flat. And but I had I had enough uh, I had enough uh, 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 screws sticking out of the drum that I could attach the lift it up and attach the spare. Huh. And managed to get home with the no spare. Way. And, yeah, yeah, with, with three quarters of a drum and and the spare and. Wow. Uh, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I have to say that, that um, the reason I got, the reason I was able to do that is an Omani, a Bedouin stopped and, and looked at it and said, no, you can put a tire on that. No problem. No kidding. Cause I was, I was ready to like, you know, yeah, get who, your ride. 
nearest town and get it and get a, a, a truck to tow us. That's right, because you're not calling a um, you're not calling a tow truck out there. I, it's funny. I've got actually next week. I have um, uh, I believe it's next week on the show. I have uh, Seth Kugel, who was the frugal traveler of the New York Times. He was a columnist for for a number of years, and um, yeah, and he talked about some DIY tips and things like that, and. Um, but that was one of them. Well, one of them was when you're out in these remote places, how he talked about um, the insurance. One of them, his notes was that, um, I can't remember what he called I think he called it evacuation insurance. So if yeah, you actually yeah, get injured. Travel companies some, sell you that. Is that something you, um, I mean, what do you use in case, you know, if some, well, I guess you're working with the school. So do you have coverage there or how does that work? As yeah, far we as have good coverage. We have evac insurance and, oh, and, do, uh, yeah. And uh, and when you go to it, like if you were to go to the Sudan, if you were to, to sign up for the Sudan trip, or even though in any of those Indian Ocean trips, the uh, pro- the the provider is going to ask you, not going to ask, it's going to require you to have evac insurance. Oh, I got gotcha. you. That's an additional cost to to yep you and so and, that's part and, of it. And, yeah, that is part of it. You know, we um, we we carry. You know, when we travel, we carry you know, compressors and, and all the, all the emergency equipment you, you can think of. Um, sure. So you, uh, you don't have to worry about, yeah. So you're, like you're self-contained. We're pretty, yeah, we're very self-contained because often, and when, and once you get up, once you get off the paved roads, you can be, I mean, you could be 40, 50 kilometers from, from a sealed road, you know, down, down a beach somewhere. And there's no way, even if you did get stuck or something broke, you're going to get yeah. out. So do you guys with, have, um, st- everything, food, water for, you know, a couple weeks yeah. sort of thing, or what, what do yeah. you guys? Yeah. And if you're going to show up, um, yeah, that's what you're going to need. You're going to hit the ground. You're going to get it. You're going to rent a, a four wheel drive. Most people go with like, um, uh, the Mitsubishi Prados oh, yeah. or, or the Toyota, uh, uh, not Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi, uh, it's the Toyota Prados or the Mitsubishi, um, uh, there's a four wheel drive. Yeah. That, that, what does it cost for, um, uh, per day for, for a vehicle? For oh, it's cars? quite pricey. Yeah. That, that, like I said, that's going to be your biggest expense. It's probably going to be close to a hundred us yeah. dollars a day per day. Right. Yep. And, um, so, yeah. And then yeah. what, what, what most people do would they get, they pick up their car and then they head to the, uh, the local, uh, shopping centers and souks and they start getting their, their materials. Um, you know, uh, camping is quite popular in Oman, even with the Omani. So mm-hmm. all of all of the shops sell sell camping equipment, and oh, it's cool. kind of cool because you'll find camping equipment in in these souks and shops that you won't find anywhere in the world. Huh. You know, custom made stoves and windscreens and coolers and things like that. Um, yeah, and so you just make sure you have you have a good uh, supply of water, and you pick up a phone chip for nothing in Oman. Oh, um, right. Yeah, unlike I, mean, I think I think uh, most of the world. In my experience, you know, getting getting phone service and a and a chip is is so easy compared to uh, here in the U.S. where it, all the phones are locked. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Well, and the other option too, I guess, is it's fairly reasonable. You know, going with the um, the satellite phones now, right? Or or is that the, yeah? Um, that's not necessary in Oman. Yeah. I mean, Oman is you know the, the one thing you're going to find in that part of the world is uh, especially Oman, UAE. Uh, is that the infrastructure is is high? It's 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 it's, it's, it's first not class. World. Okay, it's first class. No, it is there, yeah. and the reason is, and it's all new. I mean, huh. most infrastructure in that region has been built since the '70s. So you, you're driving on brand new roads, oh, and wow. there's cell phone 
everywhere in hospitals and clinics. Okay. And what, what is it like as far as the, um, you know, uh, what's the nearest? Are you guys? Do you live in the cities, or is it? What are they, if you had to say, you know, the difference? Somebody who, who hasn't been there, you know, how mm-hmm. is it different from your typical? Say you're in New Mexico. What, what what's the mm-hmm. town you're near? City in New Mexico. Well, I, well, right now we're in Albuquerque, but we live. We actually live up in northern New Mexico in the Las Brazos, which is extremely rural. Okay, uh, but it's actually you're in New Mexico. It's actually probably. I mean, the environment isn't all that different, or is it? Is there, are there no, a lot of similarities? There are a lot of similarities uh, in southern New Mexico. Northern New Mexico is all uh, high elevation, five yeah. to ten thousand feet. I mean, we had two hundred inches of snow at our house wow. this this. I would, you know, I fished Baja a lot, and I would say Baja and Oman are identical. If you were to drive, okay. if you're blindfolded and drop me in either one, I would, I wouldn't be able to tell you which was which. No kidding, no kidding. That's yeah, cool. That's cool. Yeah, that's uh, that that's a good picture because I'm sure a lot of people have. And, yeah, been and if you if you love if you love open space, you love horizon, and you love desert meets sea, that that sort of environment, then yeah. Oman and is that's the place. It's what, just the backdrops we fish against are just incredible sometimes, and um, you know, three hundred foot cliffs and, and sculpted <laughs> badland hills, and uh, yeah, it's just amazing. That's cool. Um, well, let, let's jump into the um, some on the species stuff. Um, and I had one note here before we get there, uh, just on the fly shops. This is just kind of a. I actually had today. I have Mike Mercer on uh, from the you know okay. the Redding the Redding fly shop and. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting because you're out there. I mean, I imagine there isn't a fly shop nearby. Um, how do you, uh, you know, or is there that? How do you get all your gear that you need and all that stuff? Well, we, yeah, we bring it all in, and I mean, you can get uh, you can get fluorocarbon. Yeah, they have tackle shops, but it's all conventional tackle. Okay, and so you can get fluorocarbon spools. Um, you're not going to find um, you're not going to find anything like fly lines or reels or rods or flies or fly tying material. Nothing yeah. like that. Gotcha. Uh, unless you pull something off a goat or a camel, you can tie with that, I guess. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the, uh, uh, so yeah, you have to be. You got to bring everything in in that regard. Gotcha. And you and, come. Oh, and you come in during the. Um, what's the the year there? You come in there in the fall. Yeah, the you know, Oman, the, the 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 area that we fish, the southern Oman, which is Dofar and the Alwusta coast. Um, that area right now, as uh, probably starting in this week, going through oh, end of August, middle of September, is uh, going through a monsoon season. They call the Harif, mm. and so and we're, and it's serious. I mean, there's it's rains, lashing rain, uh, probably uh, 40, 50, 60 knot wave, uh, uh, winds, and uh, uh, six to ten meter seas. Jeez. So it's, you can't even get near the coast, uh, and it's like right now. I think they're they're, they're actually experiencing a, a cyclone or a tropical depression oh, wow. on the coast. But um, uh, for big fish, and for you know, if you can get in on the shoulder season right after that, so September October can be incredible mm-hmm. for a variety of species. You'll get the big you get the big breams and the trevallies, um, the the permit and the sight fishing species are a little more difficult because of the you know the conditions are still rough oh right um, if you're going strictly for sight fishing and you know uh, then you probably want to start you, november december january february good months mm-hmm. okay good so that's good to know what um you know as far as species now i mean we've talked a little bit on this on uh you know gts and 
uh, permit and bonefish. I've had some guests talk about that. What other than those species? What are the other? What's another? What would you say is your top species that you fish for um, down there? I'm shore based. I'm uh, shore based. Yeah, let's say yeah. I guess shore because we use, sometimes yeah. use paddle boards and kayaks and and small pongas as well. Yep. Um, yep. Shore based, you can target. We get a uh, uh, little uh, striped bonita, striped bonitos, and uh, long long tailed tuna from shore. Sometimes, sometimes you can get even mahi mahi from shore. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, there's a variety of species of of, of small trevally, smaller species trevally, like big eye and orange spot. Uh, and uh, black tip trevally, which are a lot of fun, and the trevally, all the trevallies pull hard, like yeah. like you know, like jacks do. They they all pull really hard. And gotcha. um, there are a variety of species of um, of bream, and um, we get uh, a, we get wrasse and tusk fish, which are quite beautiful. Uh, we get trig- there's several species of trigger fish, mm-hmm. um, bluefish. Um, a, a whole variety of mackerels and scads and um, gotcha. uh, groupers. If you're fishing a clouser down deep, you can pick up anything. Uh, oh, you right. can a big well, grouper or 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 a, or a spangled emperor. You know that I think after, I think the the, the 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 one fish that I love to target the most is the spangled emperor, the blue spangled emperor. Oh, perfect. Yeah, good. And that's one that um, we definitely haven't talked about on here. So maybe if uh, we'll dig into that a little bit just as we go, thinking about that, if somebody, you know, was to head out in that area down the line or, you know, just to sh- share another species, we can talk a little bit about that. But, you know, as far as the, um, you know, I just want to make sure to hit on that D- the DIY travel tips. Are there any other, you mentioned a couple tips, any other tips that you would recommend if somebody was going to, you know, either head out to that area or anywhere where it's kind of remote, anything else to be uh-huh. thinking about? Um, well, you know, um, a GPS, you know, just, just common sense things, make sure you have a GPS, make sure you have, you're in good physical mm-hmm. health. And, um, and is a phone, is a, uh, mapping software on a phone GPS good enough or do you need an actual full on? No, no, no. You can, you can even actually use a smartphone. Yeah. Um, okay. And like I said, uh, most of Oman now has cell phone coverage. There are a few places that we like to fish where there's no cell phone coverage, but not many. I mean, most of the places you're going to have a signal, um, and you can use your GPS device and mapping device quite easily. Okay. Um, I would, um, I would recommend making sure that you have backup fly lines because remember you're not going to be able to replace anything once you're there. Oh, right. How, how like just a one backup line. And is there a specific line you like to use over there? I would bring a variety of lines. I bring floating lines because we get there's the, 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 the this fishing on the surface for, with surface uh, uh, poppers and, mm. and surface flies can work quite well. Uh, I primarily use a, a sinking, a clear sinking tip line, floating intermediate line. I okay. like that line. Um, and would this be for the, if you're talking about the Spangled Emperor, would that be you use yeah, multiple lines? Perfect. Yeah, multiple. Well, the Spangled Emperor, you're primarily going to get them down deep. So you want you want an intermediate or a sinking tip line for the Spangled Emperors. For the breams and permits, a floating line works fine. Uh, they're, you're going to spot them quite easily, and they're going to be high up in the water column. Mm-hmm. Uh, if just if you're just prospecting, you know, bring a full intermediate line. You don't need a full sinking line; just a full intermediate line and and a box of uh, of heavy clousers. That's all you're going to need. And what's uh, uh, what's heavy clousers mean? 
Um, I well, I I, I like uh, I like to fish uh, like a a, a a one out or two. Um, uh, I like I like a big a big, yeah, big. A big fly. I mean, because these fish these fish are big. Some of them are quite large. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're sight casting, then you can fish a smaller pattern. But if you're just prospecting, you want a big heavy fly to get down there. You know, maybe. I don't maybe 30, 40, 30 gram, 20, 30 grams, something like that. Big, you know, big dumbbells, mm-hmm. big dumbbell eyes. Um, but a variety of weights. Um, uh, we primarily fish, uh, we use a lot of crab patterns. Okay. And, um, crab patterns, clousers, uh, gurglers, foam poppers, priest flies. Um, and so, of course, the South Africans, we get a lot of South Africans who come in DIY and they have their own patterns as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, What's your, if you had to pick your, you know, just for, say, for Spangled Emperor, what, what, if you had to pick one pattern, uh, one or two I'd fly patterns? I'd fish a clouser. Just yeah. a clouser. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just a clouser. And, and just, uh, I like, I tie my clousers with yak hair. I like the profile it gives. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I, and I don't use a lot of color. It's, I, typically, it's just, uh, Black on white or dark gray on white or olive over over white. Okay. Uh, if you're partial to chartreuse, like a lot of people are, yeah. you really, you know, my whole my whole philosophy about flies is you, you fish what you believe in. Fish what gives you confidence. Yeah. How big are these? How long are these flies? Oh, probably about four inches. Oh yeah, five four inches. Five, four, yeah. five. Okay. And when you're fishing down deep, so what what sort of line are you gonna if you if you're getting down to these uh, the the emperor fish how uh-huh. how deep um you know are you get and what line are you using to get down um we're fishing them with I, I primarily use eight weights but for emperor i would i would definitely suggest a 10 weight and full intermediate line it would, would get down enough you don't have to get down to the bottom with oh, emperor. Okay. you have to get down uh you know maybe maybe three or four meters and you're just fishing above the reef the, and uh i Primarily, we target them from rocks, and, and they love structure. Um, so you you know you're going to lose a lot. We probably lose about half the ones we hook, the big ones. It's probably about a fifty percent. How big are how big are we talking here? Oh, we're talking uh, um, in pounds, maybe ten, fifteen pounds. Oh, nice. a big yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to take. I'm not even sure. Can you describe? Uh, I guess do these things look more like a bonefish or more like a permit? They, um, uh, it's the emperors, they kind of look like a, they've got, um, oh, they kind of look like a bream and they've got an elongated, uh, nose. Um, they got a huge, uh, flat paddle like tail, uh, very powerful tail. And, uh, the coloring in them is just spectacular. They're, they're, they're bronze colored with, uh, with neon blue streaks coming off their eyes and patches of new blue along their fins and touches of pink they're just a beautiful fish nice. it's funny i just um i just uh googled up uh the emperor fish and the uh i think it's jeff yeah oh no the global fly fisher uh but jeff a picture of jeff courier comes up on uh which i noticed i think he has some of your you're on his site you, you've uh fished with jeff yeah, Jeff and uh, Jeff and his wife Granny came out to the to Oman a few years back and visited, and and we met up with. Uh, I hosted them at my house for dinner, and then um, 
they took off down down south. They had a rental, and then we met up with them uh, a few about a week later. And well, Jeff had some some huge adventures there. He had some mishaps too. So oh, did he? But yeah, <laughs> well, I'll let him tell you those stories. Yeah, yeah. well, we, I heard a couple of. He told one on his episode about. Uh, uh, getting well, I think it was a, quite a long time ago, but getting attacked in a bus on an African trip. But uh, oh, but yeah, yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, maybe next time I get him on, I'll hear some more of his stories. Uh, yeah, ask him about the fish he lost in Oman. Okay, it's it's a great story. All right, cool, the cool fish, fish too. So uh, so yeah, okay. So I'm getting look. I'll have a link in the show notes to the emperor fish, and yeah, it's beautiful. It's got some blue in it, and um, it's quite. It's one of the strongest pulling fish I've ever caught. Uh-huh. It's a it's a bulldog of a fish, and you know uh, you if you can just keep them off the bottom, you got a chance. Hmm. But they just go right into the reef. Oh right, gotcha. So so just to finish up on that line, so you're in, are you using like a scientific angler tropical? Uh, I or? I'm using um, I like the real lines. Okay. Yeah, I'm using uh, like for 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 the perm and the bream. I like the the Rio uh, intermediate with the clear tip. And, um, and then just the basic, uh, saltwater real lines. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. So that, that covers that. Um, and then flies, we talked a little bit about that pretty straightforward. Um, are there any other, as far as just, you know, when you're out there fishing for those, again, if we stick on the, uh, the emperor fish, any, any tips, just general fishing tips on, yeah. on getting those? Yeah. yeah. The biggest mistake people make when they come down is they get in the water Especially because you have to remember that uh, all of our uh, all of our flats are, are are beach flats. They're they're beachside flats, so we're fishing gutters and and uh, so you, you're primarily fishing when the tide. You're not fishing at the top of the tide. You're fishing when the tide is um, the best. Is probably uh, the, the, the last three hours going out and the first three hours coming in, okay. you'll have a break there in between when it ebbs where you won't be doing much. But, um, uh, when you're walking those beaches, stay far away from the edge of the water. In fact, I've been, I <laughs> once was, uh, I once got a comment on one of my permit videos, uh, because I was, uh, casting to the fish far from the edge of the water. And, and then, um, uh, someone's commented that, uh, not knowing who I was, I, I think they thought I was Arab that, Someone said that Arabs can't swim, and that's why he's not fishing in the water. But the real reason <laughs> is that that these the permit and the and the bream they are fishing. They themselves are hunting in the in the shore wash and right on the edge. What makes these Omani permits so unique and different, even from and they're the same species that they get in Australia and throughout the Indian Ocean. But what makes these fish so unique is they come. They come into the shore wash on their sides like a flounder, they, they or a ray. They just come completely flat, and they, they and they're and they'll oh, wow. grab they'll grab a crab or a mouthful of hermit crabs or <laughs> or mollusks or snails, uh, and uh, and then they'll just slide back with 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 with, with the swell as the swell uh, comes in and out. So often, you know, if you're walking close to the water, you're going to spook them. You, and you and uh, yep. you don't have a chance. So stay stay well away from the edge of the beach when you're when you're hunting permits. Um, and and uh, they're tough. It's a tough it's a tough fishery. It's not like it's not like um, the Bahamas or Mexico or uh, Belize. You know uh, mm-hmm. where 
you get these beautiful knee-deep flats and you see the fish tailing and, and swimming in clear water. You know, these fish are in, in shore wash and, and, and sand and silts being churned. And sometimes all you'll get is a glimpse of a or a tip of a tail or a fin. Yeah. Uh, and even when you make the perfect presentation, you know, keep the, the swell will pull the fly or bury the fly so the fish can't see it. Oh, yeah. And so every, there are just so many oh. other variables that have to lock into place. Right. For, for success to happen. How do you make that perfect? So you're talking, so these fish are coming in, turning on their side because it's so shallow and then feeding right. on mollusks yeah. and stuff. How do you, yeah. you know, what is, so So are you waiting till they get within, you know, 20 or 30 feet of the shore, or, you know? Or yeah, how, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you're casting them at them from your knees just to keep your profile down. Yeah, so, so they're coming right in. Like, are they? They're, com- they're coming right in. And uh, it's rare that you'll get one. I've caught quite a few actually when, on, when they've taken the fly on its side. But usually, what I do is, uh, I'll once I'll once I see the fish, I'll I'll keep track of it, and as it slides back out, it'll swim down the beach a little bit, and I'll move down, and then as it starts to come back in, that's when I present my fly. So it, it's still, you know, it'll be in. You'll have enough water. It'll be upright, and you'll have enough water to present. But when you find a fish, these fish, these fish are will you know actively when they're actively feeding. When you find a fish, just be patient. You know, wait. You know, you got to you've got to wait for your opportunity to present the fly, because mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna stick around as long as the as long as the they they haven't seen you. Oh, and so you've got a shot. So when they come in, they're on their side. Do they do they just stick around and just hang on their side, or do they go out and come back and go? They out go and back out and they go in and yeah. out with the, and you know like. Uh, obviously, you know your 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 best opportunity is your first cast. Yep. So you, if you're patient and just make sure you get that get a good presentation on your first cast, and that's after your first cast, I would say your odds go down fifty percent. <laughs> yeah. But but that said, you know I've chased a permit up and down a beach for for her, for an hour and mm-hmm. cast at it. You know, put put a hundred crab uh, casts in front of it and changed out crabs three or four times, and and actually in the end ended up catching that fish. But it, that's that's rare. Most often, once they once they see you, they're gone. Yeah. Okay. And, and are you uh, once you're you're camping out there, are you able to just uh, grab a couple of these and throw them on the barbecue? Or it sounds like <laughs> I, I was just reading here a little bit on the. Um, this was from Jeff Courier's um, blog post. He had a link to. Uh, a site which I'll put a link in, but it says catch care. Mm-hmm. It says uh, spangled emperor are targeted for their eating qualities. Have you ever have you ever tasted one? Yeah, I eat a lot of spangled oh, okay, emperor. They're cool. delicious. There you go, incredible fish. We don't eat the permit. Um, occasionally, I have eaten them. Occasionally, um, uh, a fisherman will give us one. Um, the bream are there's the, all, the bream the, the spangled emperor. They're all delicious, and yeah. and that's and. And that's yeah, that's what we're eating on the it, beach, and it, so really, yeah. all you need to bring is uh, oil and rice, potatoes, you know, some sort of yep. some sort of starch supplement, and you're good to go for yep. as long as you want. No kidding. So you don't have to, yeah, just a little bit. Uh, you don't have any special recipes. Just throw them on the barbecue and go with it. Oh yeah, we have lots of recipes, um, but uh, primarily, I you know, we just like to uh, rub them down with olive oil, yep, salt, salt and pepper, and put them on a grill. Gotcha. What type of, um, when you cast out there, so, and now we're not talking deep. So, I mean, they're, if they're coming in, they're feeding in shallow. So you're still using that intermediate line when they, when they come in, are you, I'll tell you why I use the intermediate line. Um, because you're fishing in swell, beach swell, um, the floating line, if, if you use a floating line, it's on the surface. Yeah. 
the the swell will pull that pull your crab pattern or fly around. Um, it also um, will tend to if you're not using a, a casting basket or some something to manage your line, uh, a floating line will will definitely um, move around and, and tangle around your feet and. It just um, I just find the intermediate line easier to manage in yeah. in beach swell than a floating line. Are you using a, a casting basket most of the time? Sometimes we use use a casting basket, but most often if we're just targeting uh, if we're sight fishing on beaches, we I, what I it's not it's not I wouldn't recommend this for, but it's not we I just drag a line. Yeah, you're you're not casting a huge huge yeah. amount of line. You're not you're not casting a huge. You're making. Uh, Typically, you're making a 20 to 35 foot cast. Gotcha. Okay. And what? Um, and you, I think you mentioned you're using a, a, a 10, 8 to 10 weights, or do you have one rod? That Primarily you- eight weights. Yeah, we're using eight weights. And um, if it's, I will move up to a 10 weight uh, if the wind kicks up, because it's just easier to, to punch a fly into the wind with a 10 weight than an eight weight. Oh, okay. And and I think I noticed in one of your videos you had a, a Reddington rod or maybe – do you have a specific yeah. uh, rod company or uh, reel that you like to use? Um, I use I use Reddington rods. I use I have some old Sage RPLX rods. Mm-hmm. I kind of use them um, sparingly because uh, they can't be replaced any longer. All right. I love the old RPL Sage rods um, and the X RPLX rods. Um, but I – honestly, I'll tell you I um, – I use the Reddingtons. I use the the uh, the Vapen and the Predator rods. I like them. I like their I like their return policy. Uh-huh. I break I break a lot of rods. I break about a couple rods a year. Why? Just from just from catching big fish or um, some some about fifty fifty. Uh, sometimes catching big fish. Sometimes I fall on them um, or just mishaps. <laughs> I've fallen on a few rods chasing fish. Um, but uh, as far as reels, I um, I've been using the same reel since 1995. I bought a, a Tibor Everglades, and that was, I believe, the year they came out. So it's one of the very first Tibor Everglades, and I've had it rebuilt maybe three or four times. And that's that's my go-to reel. Okay, cool. So. So yeah, as we you know kind of work along here, I mean, any other things we're missing? I guess you know we're kind of talking. I mean, this is really interesting talking about the. You talked about a little bit about getting to the deep water, but it sounds like maybe you're fishing more in the shallows for these uh, for these emperors. And is that is that the case, or is that a- yeah for for the emperors? Uh, you well, the, we're targeting fish off of rocks, mm-hmm. and um, there's a uh, primarily we're fishing off beaches uh, for the permit and the and the bream. The bream yeah. like to cruise the beaches, and they hunt uh, the crabs and the small fish that that inhabit those um, those habitats. For other species like trevallies and um, the shari, that, that I, I call it a shari. shari. I can give you Arabic names for these fish too. The emperor is, is a shari. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The bream is a kofir. Um, but if you're, if, if, yeah, for the other species, you're looking for structure. You're walking off of rocky points. Um, and as we say, we're fishing off the bricks and, um, you're casting, sometimes you're sight fishing, you'll see them cruising by, but often you're just, uh, you're, you're blind casting out into and fishing structure. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, we'll do a lot of fishing from kayaks and paddle boards as well. Oh yeah, that's right. What is your, um, 
what is your go-to, you know, you, you've used a few different boats. If, if you had to pick one, what's the, what's the boat you go with most often? Um, I'm kind of partial to my kayak, my, my hobby kayak. And, um, uh, I keep it pretty, I keep it pretty sparse. We, I don't have any attachments or rod holders, or anything. Uh, it's, it's fun. What it's, it's, uh, and we're primarily uh, sight fishing with these. You come across fish on the surface, schools of uh, fish on the surface, and so you approach them with a kayak. And when you think with, you're within range, you you've got your rod ready with all your lines stripped out, ready to go, and you just tra- you just gently put down your paddle and pick up your rod and make your presentation. Um, we've, we've, it's kind of it's kind of uh, harrowing though. It's sometimes in 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 heavy weather, we we we've had some instances where the fish will big fish will actually try to pull you towards the rocks or into, right. the, into, into surf. And I've had many times where you've got the you've got the rod handle in your mouth and you and you're pad, you're back paddling as hard as you can to to, to avoid crashing into rocks. And, right. Huh. And and this is just you have a paddle. You don't have any sort of a a foot. Um, no, oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that system, and those are actually quite popular. There's a lot of uh, people who use those for okay. conventional. Fishing. Yeah, the Mirage system, I believe it's called. Yeah, gotcha. And, and obviously, the paddle boards, if you're traveling, are work well because you can fold them up in a in a bag and take them on the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we've got inflatables, but we've also got uh, fixed paddle boards. The paddle boards it, it, we can only use in, in in optimal conditions, but the paddle boards give you a huge advantage over the kayak in that you can sight fish because you're standing. Whereas from a kayak, it's very difficult to sight fish because you're almost at water level. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, anything else you want to uh, cover here? Uh, you know, um, anything else? The any tips or anything we should uh, be covering? I mean, I guess we talked. You know, I mentioned the we talked about the emperor fish, but. I mean, I guess going back to those, are we, so we're talking more of the deeper, you know, kind of rocky and are you still using an intermediate line on those? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's intermediate line. Um, my, my advice is to, um, you know, concentrate on the Southern region of Oman. Okay. If you come to Oman and, um, yeah, try to get, you know, obviously just try to get uh, as far away from some, from civilization as you can. Um, recently, uh, the situation has improved. You know, we had a really bad situation the past 15 years in Oman with illegal fishing, uh, illegal netting, and oh. and illegal workers. Um, and it was just it's it's an old story. You know, it's just all based on greed. It's just a few people trying to get you know uh, make a profit and, uh, and 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 exploit a resource to 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 its full extent and. But in the past year, the uh, the Omani government has cracked down on that big time. We noticed, uh, you know, typically when I first got to Oman, you know, you'd see a couple of, of boats go out with local Omanis in them, and then that all that all changed about in two thousand five, two thousand six, and uh, uh, people started coming in with um, indentured workers and sending out hundreds of boats at a time, and. Uh, and now, uh, just this past year, I noticed we had opportunities to we fished some places where it was normal to see, you know, a hundred boats launch every every morning. And because of the crackdown, now we maybe see one or two boats going out. So we're hoping the situation is going to improve now that they've stopped the all of the illegal fishing. Oh right, right, okay. Uh, and just one more note on uh, on the fishing. So as far as the um you know, the stripping strips or what type of stripping or do you, do you do mix it up a little bit or what's that look like? I mix it up. It's different for different species. Um, 
the permit and the and the and and the and the bream species um, um, our permit uh, if they see the fly and and they'll actually and and they're 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 happy they haven't they haven't you, you haven't made they haven't made you out they will actually uh, and they're feeding act between they'll actually you'll see them turn on the fly and eat it and then it's just you know it's just a a, 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 a permit set a traditional permit set which is just a, a long slow pull until you you feel the the, the, the line come tight um you know the main thing is just um, um the bream sometimes like to be teased they can be finicky sometimes you have to switch out a fly or, or fish a smaller fly if you're sight fishing them so, uh, you'll get refusals from them permit can you know like all permit you, sometimes you can do everything right and they just for some reason, they don't want to eat. And mm -hmm. That's just the way. That's permit fishing. Everybody know if you fish permit, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but um, that's yeah, nothing special, nothing you know, nothing but, different than okay. I would Mexico or or the Bahamas. Gotcha. So if you're if for those uh, those spangled emperors, so you're you're just casting out and pretty much just casting it out. You're letting it sink. You know, do a little countdown. Let the let, let the fly get down, and then it's just like a just like really a ten count strips. sort of thing. Yeah. Pardon? Oh, like a like t a ten second count or something like that. Let it depend yeah, on where absolutely. you're at. Yeah, and fish heavy heavy uh, tippets. You know, I I like to keep my my terminal system really simple. You know, I just have a long piece of uh, a butt section that's usually forty pound, fifty pound. Into that, I'll put a uh, I'll just um, I'll um, put a piece of twenty. Okay. You know, um, I'll Albright a piece, and, and Albright I like the Albright knot for yeah for that that kind of connection. Okay, perfect, perfect. So uh, let's see here. Now, as far as, um, you know, getting back to the traveling, do you have any um, any gear, uh, non-fishing gear that you kind of don't leave home without when you're out there traveling, whether that's, you know, I guess hitting, hitting for the mm -hmm. beach trip, anything special you, you always have out there? Um, in travel in general, I always travel with a, with a, a bug net. Okay. Uh, you never know. Even when I go, like I, I go to Christmas every year, and I do, a, I do usually do two or three weeks of DYI out there, and I stay at the lodges. But you know, there's still, it's still primitive, and it's still yeah. you're still gonna you're still gonna need that extra protection. So the bug net uh, is just the thing that goes over your head, sort of. But no, no, no. I'm talking about something uh, you put over your bed. Oh, over your bed. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I always travel with with a with a bug net in where you know if you're traveling in Africa or in the South Pacific, you got to have that in your in your suitcase because you yeah. don't know what in situation it's going to be. And this is just um, a is this just a thing that that just goes inside, uh, just wraps around your your whatever you're sleeping in. Well, it just packs in a bag, and then you you can it, it you can mount it uh, above your bed. You can attach it to. Oh right. I I usually bring a little Velcro, sticky Velcro. Things that I can attach it with, or little screws, screw hooks, or something like that. Gotcha. Uh, um, I always travel with uh, lots of school supplies to give out. That seems to be uh, totally. very popular places I go. People want pens and paper, huh. and and yep. uh, that's that's a good uh, make sure you have yeah. Yeah, and little snacks, you know, because if you if you know just just stuff that you can give to kids that you're going to and 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 people that you're going to meet. If you, sometimes you're going to be invited into people's homes, it's always nice to have a small gift to give them. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to find if you travel in the Middle East that 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 probably the most husp the the most welcoming, hospitable people you'll ever meet are Arabs and Omanis, uh, Yemenis people, and. Yeah. Uh, 
the difficulty that I had when I first started uh, doing a lot of exploration fishing in that region was getting sidetracked because inevitably they, um, you meet someone, you talk to them, and it always leads to an invitation to go to their house and stay right. a few days. And, and you know, they, they're just so welcoming. And, and if, you know, if you're ever in trouble, I can, I can tell you times I've been stuck and out of nowhere, you know, a, a Bedouin will come along and, and, and help me. And so I, re- yeah. I remember uh, listening to your, your podcast with Oliver White. He talked about that uh, situation where they were out in the boat yep. and uh, they were approached by, by a, a Pongo loaded with, with Omanis and ski masks and <laughs> they kind of freaked out a bit and uh, yeah. actually they just thought they needed help and, yeah. No. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that was I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, the show notes to that episode. That was uh definitely a good story. Uh do you have any, you know, if you think about again about say fly fishing the in that area or in maybe for the Sp- uh, Spangled Emperor, any um I guess maybe that'd be a little too specific, but a book resource, video, any other resources that aren't your own that you might recommend people check out to get prepared for something like that? Mm. Um or I mean, because you're you're kind of known as the person that kind of explored that area for the first time. I mean, are there, you know, are there other people or yeah. other thing, other stuff online, or people doing it now? There, other than commercial, there are some commercial operations. There are, yeah. There's, uh, yeah. I strongly recommend um, checking out uh, um, No Boundaries Oman. Oh, okay. Um, they and they are they are. They're they're just they're going to op, uh, launch a liveaboard operation that's going to um, uh, it's going to feature uh, fly fishing groups or host fly fishing groups. In fact, I've been invited to host one of those weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, edit no boundaries uh, on Instagram. Check out his site; and you'll just it'll blow you away. Oh, cool! Um, fish they're getting out there, and they're targeting they're targeting huge fish, uh, both on uh, conventional and fly rods. And and there's a group of islands in, uh, off the coast of Oman called the Halaniats, and they're getting species out there that have never been caught on the fly, or or for that matter, perhaps even some species conventional tackle. They're getting some very very interesting uh, endemic uh, parrotfish and um, um, oh, what what it was, I think there's a hogfish they're catching that's just incredible, and and these huge wrasse all on crab mm-hmm. patterns. Mm-hmm. so yeah um other than that you know i've got like you know i've got the youtube and the vimeo channel and there's there's on the youtube there's, there's several hundred videos there oh, cool. you can go through oh, good. Uh, under no Pez as well yeah um, so as far as a book or uh you know there's you know what i recommend there's a great book um it's called birding uh birds of oman and what's mm-hmm. great about it, it's not a fishing resource, but it 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 uh, it's it's got great maps of places where people go to to bird, and mm-hmm. and and it's and a lot of the maps uh, sh- are along the coast, and they show tracks to reach estuaries and fishable water. It's it's just a great collection of maps. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's a, that's a the, when people land in Oman, they're going to find tons of resources available, print resources for. For uh, driving and travel, okay. uh, and it's a great road system. Uh, uh, like I said, the infrastructure is all new. Huh. Uh, 
Man, it sounds like a, like I said at the start, this is, it sounds like a place that, uh, you know, obviously it takes some, you know, uh, some work to get out there. Well, I guess, I mean, a plane ticket that, you know, you get, you get that going, but it sounds like a pretty amazing place. Is there any, you know, what are the downsides, I guess, of, of doing a trip out there? Uh, I can't think of a single downside to, to no doing kidding. a trip. No, That's... no, Amman's a magical place. It, it's, it's extremely safe. There you go. Uh, I, you know, I've lived there 17 years. I've yep. never locked my, I've never locked my car or my house. That's amazing. That's it. You can't, do, That's, you yeah. can't even do that. I mean, I, I've yeah. lived in places and I'm sure people that are listening have where, yeah, you wouldn't think of leaving your car unlocked and, you know, in the U S so that, that right there probably says a lot about it. No, it's, it's, it's been, it's been very special. We raised my, you know, we raised my children there. I had two daughters and oh, wow. I raised my family there and, uh, um, they come back every year. One, my, my, I have a daughter in New York and a daughter in Los Angeles and they fly back every Christmas cause they just, they miss it so much. Oh yeah. What, um, what did they get to, uh, do they do some fishing? What, what line of work did they get into? Um, my, my oldest daughter is a writer and my youngest daughter is a, a printmaker in Los Angeles. And, and when they were little though, they loved to fish. In fact, um, I discovered permit in Oman, uh, because of a fish my youngest daughter caught off a beach. She was. Uh, they were catching uh, three-spot pompanos with uh, with spin tackle, and I was I was just out there baiting, you know, uh, baiting their 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 hooks with small prawns, and they would cast out. And it was, you know, back then it was like as soon as the as soon as the the prawn hit the water, you had a fish on. And uh, my youngest daughter hooked something that was obviously not a pompano, and it was practically spooled her. And I helped her out a bit, and it took about maybe half an hour, but we landed. Uh, uh, probably a 25 pound permit, wow. bunch of permit off that beach. And, and that's the first permit. That's the first time I, I knew that I realized, whoa, this fish, this species exists here. And that from that point on, I started looking for them and it took about three or four years to find them and to figure and another couple of years to figure them out, how to approach them, how to fish them. Um, but yeah, hmm. um, if it hadn't been, <laughs> I, I might not have known they were there. Yeah. If, if caught that fish. Wow, that is cool. And and uh, I had a note here also on now this. I think I even watched this movie. Was there a, the salmon fishing in Yemen? Did, did yeah. Do you, you hear about that? That was a, a movie about. Um, I, I mean, it was about salmon fishing in Yemen. Do, do you remember that whole thing? And that, that seems kind of a a unique movie uh, title and all that. Do, do you remember a little bit of that? I do remember that movie, and um, I remember. Um, yeah, it's not the, the the concept itself is not very plausible, but and oh, that's uh, right. It was it was uh, adding. Uh, it was basically reintroduce or bringing Atlantic salmon. A, yeah, they built a reservoir and built a dam, and they wanted and apparently this uh, this Yemeni uh, prince. That's right. Who had been had been schooled in in England and fished in in that part of the world for salmon, wanted to bring it to it back to his country and. Um, yeah, but I, I actually posted a video called "Salmon Fishing in, in Yemen." Oh, really? That features uh, the which features uh, targeting um, threadfin salmon, threadfin. which are quite common. Threadfin salmon, yeah, it's a very popular game fish in Australia and around the Indian Ocean. Um, they get quite large, although the one the species we were po- targeting were no more than maybe a kilo or two. And but there, uh, yeah, and I posted a video. Uh, 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 the real salmon fishing in Yemen, and uh, oh yeah, that was on that was on our trip to uh, Socotra, and uh, my my but my mate Kamal was actually the one who discovered them, 
we were on Socotra for, it took us, you know, we were on Socotra for 11 days and we did, and primarily with the mission of, of finding, you know, of capturing the first bonefish on the fly in, in the Middle East. And, hmm. and uh, you know, we didn't get that fish, discover that fish or, or get it actually on the fly until like day nine, you know, after exploring the, uh, but, but in the meantime, we discovered all these other species as well, including the threadfin. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the threadfin it's just, is, it's amazing. Yeah. It's yeah, and just to be somewhere where, you know, every fish you catch on the fly could be the first time that that fish has been captured on the fly. It's just a, it's just very special. That's right. Yeah, and I don't think the threadfin has any uh, similarities really to any, or even um, genealogy to salmon. I mean, it looks no, no. yeah. This this has just got the salmon king threadfin salmon. Yes. Wow, that's an amazing. Yeah, they, it's got these crazy. Quite, it's got this crazy. Um, these long whiskers. These yeah, they're long, whiskers. What is that? Is that a fin or are those whiskers? Those are they. Have, they have these long whiskers coming off the front of their mouth, uh, and they also have a a, a a bulbous, sort of gelatinous, translucent nose. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, their nose is, and it's got two dorsal fins. Mm-hmm. And they and I'm sure that all of those those mechanisms are designed to pick up uh, elect, uh, oh, yeah. bioelectrical signals and and to find prawns and, and clams and things on the bottom. They are very aggressive on flies. It's a very easy fish on the fly if you can find them. They, they eat flies readily, uh, shrimp patterns, crab patterns. Wow. That's um, so cool. This is, we could have the next, if we do another episode, we'll have to maybe talk about Threadfin. That's the cool thing about this. And when I had Jeff on, you know, I think he, we were talking about the numbers of species and I know you don't really track, you know, your numbers necessarily, but it was funny because yeah, I think he's like above 400 different species. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he's well above 400. It, it just shows you that, uh, you know, you can do a lifetime of it and still not get to all the fish out there on the fly or just in, in general. Um, there, there are so many species, even in Oman, that that I haven't, I haven't caught on the fly. That that if I targeted, you know, I'm sure or looked for. Yeah, I kind of got sidetracked when I discovered the permit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I guess maybe we'll have to leave some of that till the next episode. I did have a quick little um, rapid fire round here. If you got a, a few okay. more minutes, um, what's the uh, you know, if you think of uh, you know the best advice you were ever given does anything come to mind when you think about you know whether that's fly fishing or life in general it seems like you've had a pretty you know you're you're teaching and you've been in these this amazing part of the world does, does anything uh, stick out to you i think i think i'm not sure how i came to this but i think the best advice i can give anyone for life or fishing especially fly fishing is just slow down mm-hmm. you know take your time slow down look around and, and, you know, I mean, when we're all, when we get started, we're all, you know, young and we, we just want to charge into the rivers and, and the beaches and, but, you know, it's study yeah. where you're at before you can, before you make a cast. Yeah. No, it's, I, w- I was just, uh, listening to a podcast episode on another podcast. Um, it was this guy who, I think Cal Newport was his name. He wrote this uh, book about called digital minimalism and, you know, oh. and it, it kind of goes that same thing, how we're all, you know, uh, so many people are stuck in their devices and they can't, yeah. it's just addictive thing because the companies get you addicted to it. But, you know, slowing down, I think is part of that, like getting away from that digital world and, and slowing down and enjoying the natural world is kind of what it's all yeah. about. It sounds like, is that, and really, I think, yeah. 
I agree, and I think those devices have made it more difficult for us to to make that transition. Yeah, that, that's a cool thing about them. I mean, they have some use, like we were saying, the GPS, you know, emergency phone call, stuff like that. But yeah, being able to get away from that and and slow down and take it all, no. especially in these places that you're talking, which, I mean, I hope uh, <laughs> we don't overcrowd you here because I think you're, you're painting a picture of a pretty amazing place that I think a lot of people would like to go to, including my, it is. myself. It is. And, and, you know, on the, on the, on the positive side of social media, uh, I've met, I've met some incredible people who have, who have, uh, actually come to Oman, you know, That's and, right. and the initiative and, and, you know, I've, I've made uh, dozens of friends and formed, uh, you know, lifelong connections with people, uh, all over the world yep. through, through social media. So, I mean, I don't mind, I, I, I love to share what I do and I love sharing my water and honestly the reality is is that you know there are a lot of people who, who are going to dream about doing this but it's uh, it's only a few who actually take who pull the trigger and that's right you know, and and typically those people who do they, i get along quite well with them oh yeah 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 no i think it's cool i think that's the the neat thing about this podcast is i'm you know, i'm not sure how many people will hear this and you know learn about it but yeah there'll probably be a very small no, you, percentage you, you put your stuff out in the universe and yep. you, you never know what's going where it's going to how that's it's right. going to come back that's right yeah that's part of my that's kind of my selfish th- part on this is that you know i'm listening to this thinking well maybe this gets uh, my foot in the door to have some connection to a you know places like this that you know i oh. wouldn't otherwise have Absolutely. So, okay. And what about, um, what about music? Do you have a band or type of music you, you listen huh. to? Yeah. Um, I have, I have a very eclectic taste in music. Um, I, I mean, I love world music. I love music from Africa. I love hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, I like world beat. What, what, like, is, what is world, world beat or world music? What, what is that? Um, like? Is there a band Today, or some world other thing? World music is is a is is a fusion, an amalgam of of uh, local music, local instruments, mixed with uh, with modern hip hop or uh, uh, ED beats. Um, I follow a lot of uh, musicians in Africa and even some in Yemen and around the Middle East who take who have taken their traditional music and, and fused it with, with, with modern hip hop. Okay. Is there a, um, a name of a band we could throw out so I can put a link in the show notes to. Oh, okay. Let me think. Um, uh, kind of put me on the spot. Yeah, there. No, you, you can think about that for a little bit. I, I had another uh, question too, for you, as far as, mm-hmm. as we kind of wrap up this here, um, I'm kind of getting into a kind of a fun thing. I'm trying to get somebody on the show. Um, I've asked this question about what your favorite drink is, you know, after a, a fishing, but I've kind of get to the, you know, thinking about more like vices. Do you have any, any vices that, you know, that are, you know, you, you kind of, you have in your life that are things maybe, mm-hmm. like, you know, or, or over the years that you've had to get rid of? To, to, that I've had to get rid of. <laughs> well, or either way, I'll leave it open either had or, or that you have uh-huh. currently. Oh, I used to be partial to a hand-rolled cigarette. Oh, there you go. You know? Yep. It's like, uh, and it, it just works so well with fly fishing, especially I when, I, when I got into situations where I was frustrated. Um, I actually, there's a video I made on YouTube where I'm struggling with permit, and I take a break. And in the video, you know, I've got the GoPro on my head. And in the video, you can see I'm rolling a drum cigarette. 
and I'm just sitting there on a rock and just mm-hmm. waiting, waiting, waiting. As soon as I'm done with that cigarette, I go out and I, I hook a fish. There you so go. Just under, you know, and I've had that experience on rivers too, where you know it's just it yeah. just forces you to to step back. But I've given that up. I've yeah. given up. I, I, I do. I still step back and take a pen. Yep. You know, and be and be reflective about what I'm doing and, and right or wrong, and typically it's wrong. Yep. But uh, and that's that goes back to what I said earlier about slowing down. That's you right. know, if you're if you're if you're struggling, then stop fishing and yep. think and take a break and step back and and think about what's going on. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to, you know, one of my advices, I guess, uh, it's kind of interesting. I heard about this. Another, I'm kind of a podcast addict. I listen to all sorts of different podcasts, but I was listening to this other one. This guy was talking about, they've got this thing called the, um, well, he calls the website the one year, no beer challenge or no, it's one year, no beer.com. <laughs> but it basically got into this 28 day challenge. He realized that, you know, he wasn't a big beer drinker, but even just having one beer you know, a day sort of thing gets you in this habit. And, and when he broke right. out of it, when he broke out of it, it just, it was amazing the stuff it opened up. So I'm kind of on a, I'm two weeks into my own little uh, 30 day challenge, no, no beard. I love a good IPA, but you know, I'm not sure if I'll get him on the podcast. Probably a lot of people don't want to hear that, but it, it's, I think it's interesting for me. I think about like life and just having a better life and trying things, you know, mixing things up a little bit. That That's where I get to some of this stuff. And I think that's, what's cool about this trip to, to your area is that, talk about mixing it up if somebody gets out there it might change their life right spending a, yeah. a couple of weeks over it's there it's definitely it's and that's the whole point of travel is to get you out to step out of your comfort zone to get you to get you to step out of your habits yeah and um you know i if for that alone that's that's why i do it it's that's it it's, that's it yep good stuff all right ray well there's definitely plenty more we could talk about and maybe i'll check back with you here in a year or two and see how it's going but in the in the next six to 12 months do you have anything you want to anything new with yourself or kind of fishing you want to let let us know yeah well i i didn't mention this to you prior but i actually just retired um i just finished last year of teaching uh 36 years there you go i'm going to continue to stay in oman you are at least a year Uh uh-huh uh, but I won't be working. So I'm going to have, I mean, I've been a weekend fisherman for the past 17 years in Oman. So now I'm, I'll be able to, to fish any, you know, anytime wow. I want. I've, I've got a whole bunch of exploratory trips lined up and, um, I'll be hosting a fly fishing group with no boundaries Oman. Mm-hmm. It's a liveaboard, op- brand new liveaboard operation. And, uh, hopefully I'll be, um, the next time we talk, I'll have a whole bunch of new water that I can share with you. Oh, there you go. And, and so are you thinking now as you go into retirement, I mean, uh, like getting more into the fly fishing, uh, I guess, you know, industry or whatever and, and doing more um, trips and things really, like that? Not really. Um, you know, if you check out my social media, you can see that I've, I've never endorsed or, 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 yeah. um, hashtag brands and, and, gotcha. um, um, I'm, I'm not really interested in making that a part of, of my life. You know, yeah. um, I understand people who, who do, I mean, like Oliver White, he's, he's, he's done it. Right. And my friend Ed in Oman has, has, has put together an incredible operation and has an incredible lifestyle. And he can, mm-hmm. um, but at this point in my life, it's, you know, I've been, I've, I've actually been, been invited to guide for a couple of, of operations, but my response is, you know, guiding is a young man's game. Yeah. It's especially saltwater guiding. Oh yeah, and uh, if, you know if it's one, it's different if you're if you're rowing a drift boat, you know. But right. if you're you're out there on in, in the middle of Sudan on a flat hmm. every day, you know it's I I, I watch these guys. They work they work their asses off. And, yeah, they uh, do. 
So why um, do the um, so the no boundaries Oman? What, what's that? That kind of is a little bit. Well, in, that kind of made a deal with my with my buddy Ed that you know oh, I, I would be to host a trip to be you know on the trip and and to provide uh, uh, tips and fly tying and uh, demos and 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 just just to sort of uh, be a host basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then. And so after that year, I mean, are you planning on, uh, so what, what are you doing for the rest of the time? Are you going to stay out there? Are you moving back to New Mexico? Well, we have a, we have a house in Northern New Mexico. It's actually, uh, we have a, a lovely little trout, uh, stream it goes right in front of our house, uh, the Los Brazos. We'll always have that house in the summer. Um, but it's too cold there in the winter time. Oh, so right. I think in winter months, you'll find me in Mexico, Panama, gotcha. Oman, Colombia, Chile. Yep places like that. And so how do you do it now that, so now you'll just find your own, uh, well, I guess you know those areas, so you'll find a place to just live down there for the summer and do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 you know, years back we entertained the idea of actually buying a place, but, uh, well, what would be just before I let you go on that, I just want to make sure. So if somebody did want to go down there for a a couple months in the, you know, Mm -hmm. during the winter here, Mm -hmm. what would you recommend? I mean, you know, as far as places to stay and that whole process, do you just uh, stay in a, um, you know, how, how do people do that when they go down for a I couple think, months at a time? I, well, you, I, it's, I think you just, you try to find a place to rent. Yeah. You know, small apartment or, yep. uh, in different ways. Um, we used to travel to Chile for four weeks at a time and just, uh, rent places Yep. and, um, do a little camping, you know? Oh yeah. Perfect. All right, and uh, and if they want to find you, if people have questions, just uh, no uh, Tema Pez on Instagram. Yeah, no Tema Pez on Instagram. It's a private account, so just make a request, and I, I'm happy to add you. Okay, and then and and then if you ever if you if you're seriously interested, then then yeah, shoot me a, a message and be happy to help you out. Okay, and I'll put a link to your YouTube channel as well and the Vimeo and. Uh, yeah, and oh, Ray, I just wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing, you know, uh, all the information here. I think um, definitely this is a place where, you know, I'm not sure how many people will will head over there, but I think, you know, who knows that this this podcast will probably live out there for a while, and it might get more popular as we go, especially, you know, hearing about how you know amazing it sounds. But yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing all your knowledge today, and uh, hope to keep in touch with you. Oh, me too. I mean, you're more than welcome, and thank you for the invitation. Um, and if you you know, you're well, you're always welcome. Come see me in Oman. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to keep that. Uh, I'm going to keep that. I talked to you. Right. We, we've got a guy. You mentioned Texas earlier. I've got a couple of people I've been trying to connect with. So you're, you're, all right. on, you're on the list now. But all right, Ray, we'll talk to you later. Cheers, Dave. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to webflyswing.com slash Ray. Interested in heading out on a fishing trip with me and a few of our great guests from the podcast? We'll be heading out on a lodge trip to one of these amazing destinations next year, and I need 10 people who are ready for a trip of a lifetime. Go to wetflyswing.com slash destination to find out more and to uh, get your name in the hat for this trip and ones to follow. If you haven't already, uh, please click the subscribe button on your favorite app. This will help the show find new people out there and will assure that you don't miss the next episode. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. Looking forward to catching up to you soon and maybe see you on the river or online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.